listening to The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Welcome back to The Bucket List with me, Beefy, the world's biggest sports fan. It is an official Guinness World Record. I went to see 306 different sports in the space of 365 days. They decided that I was the world's biggest sports fan. Amazing. So, yeah, 25 different countries. I'm now the world's expert on niche and different and weird sport. And you will have a groovy uh, niche sport to chat about later on too, won't you? Yeah, down in Tasmania, the National Penny Farthing Championships. Yeah, we will extrapolate on that a bit later and find out whether you need to be hipster and have a moustache. That is a prerequisite of taking part. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Got Kale from Croydon on the line. How are you going? Good morning, guys. How are we both? Yeah, Just good. awesome. Well, thanks for joining us on the bucket list, Kale. Well, you got some stories about some events you might have been to in the past? Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, being at the 2010 Grand Final. It was always a bucket list to watch a winning Grand Final with my father, uh, Collingwood supporters. And basically, when I uh, was brought up into the world, I, I slipped straight into a Collingwood jumper and had no choice. But I remember having some beers uh, with my mates and uh, my, my father's friends as well. And we're all in a big group together down at the Barrel Bar at the MCC. They said, so who do you reckon will win? And I said, look, guys, I, I can't see us winning today. But funny enough, I can't says losing and of course everyone gave me a hard time and and then it ended up being a draw at the time i was certainly a joke to everyone but at the end of the game i certainly gave them a hell of a time because i was actually right. right my premonitions i certainly celebrated hard with my father and it was a great moment yeah i remember that because we actually had a grand final party and we had to redo it the week after they roped in, Eddie Maguire roped in Lionel Richie to do the entertainment. Yeah, it was fantastic. That was actually on my bucket list too, so I didn't have oh. to go and pay tickets to go and see him, so I got to see Lionel Richie as well, which, which was fantastic. So, Kayla, you're obviously a man of the world. Enjoy your sport. I feel pretty fortunate as a sports lover. I believe in Melbourne is one of the capital cities of the world for sport. It's a bucket list in itself, Melbourne, isn't it? Absolutely. I'd love to go and see uh, the Super Bowl and see how they do it, as long as they don't... Uh, have meatloaf on um, <laughs> on mid, mid entertainment. I reckon not, I won't be coming home disappointed. My bucket list would probably include uh, the Tour de France. You know, it's such a grueling event. A million people a day are on the uh, oh, are on each stage. So uh, you can imagine all nationalities will be there. Well, I'd like to make that a million and one one day. So yeah. uh, and then just to see the elements of Europe, a great excuse to go on a holiday and and see a great world event in the in the Tour de France would be a great thing to do. Nah, I agree with you there. Thanks for sharing on your bucket list with us, Kale. All right, guys, you have a great day. Down in Tasmania, every year in February, there's a little village called Evandale, which mm-hmm. I believe is about an hour east of Launceston. Yeah. They hold the National Penny Farthing Championships every year. It is the most renowned penny farthing championships in the world, and the most nostalgic athletes on the planet come to Evandale to race their penny farthings. Look, you have to have a passion for this. You know, generally you can actually reach 32 kilometres per hour. Jeez. And then your legs just can't turn any faster. But one of the most hardest things to do is actually getting off without falling when you <laughs> yes. stop the bike. How difficult would that be? Oh, it's unbelievable because uh, you're actually about three and a half foot up in the air. Your feet yeah. don't reach the floor. Getting on's hard. Getting off's oh, hard. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of them do it kind of on the fly. They kind of just kick themselves up in the air and they let the bike go and just hop off backwards, so to speak. There's, a, there's definitely an art form in that. They get uh, probably 50 to 60 penny-farthing riders from all over the world converge on Evandale. 
the main race, the World Championships, is uh, four laps of a circuit. They do a kind of a knockout series of events mm. where you're basically in a heat and the winners go through to the final. Absolutely. And you know what? This event also features a procession of people dressed in their best period costumes. Did you know? I didn't realise this. Penny Farthings, even though kind of iconic because they were kind of the first bikes that people thought of, but they only got made for about 15 to 20 years from the mid-1870s. They didn't get made after that. So um, people that want to create a penny farthing nowadays have to find parts that are 120 years old just to make these things up. People think about top hats and tails when they think about yes. people riding penny farthings, but there are bits that can get caught in spokes. So back in the 1880s, they basically used to race in their underwear. Really? This is true, but in Evandale, they try to discourage the wearing of too much lycra, but I think they should discourage that in, in general for bike rides, oh. to be quite honest. True. I don't think we want to see any mammals uh, no. wearing lycra on a penny farthing. You got to get, like you say, you got to get in period. You got to get in the uh, in the right character yeah, to ride exactly. penny farthings. If you fancy a little trip down to Tasmania, uh, it's a lot closer than you think. It is an absolute blast, apparently. They have a lot of fun. The whole village is closed and the a lot of the streets are closed off. So when you do fall off your penny farthing, you're actually safe. Quite remarkable. If you fancy taking up a new sport, how about getting yourself a penny farthing, getting yourself down to Tasmania next year? If you want to be a world champion die, this could be your chance. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. It's a bucket list with Beefy and Diana Simons. Today we're talking to Dan O'Malley, the distributor from High Gloss Entertainment. How are you, Dan? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. You've got this fantastic movie out at the moment. It's John McEnroe in the Realm of Perfection, a documentary about John McEnroe. They used to call him the, the brat of tennis, didn't they? They did. Certainly he was an incredible player, renowned for his bad behaviour and, uh, and dummy spits and plenty of that on display in the film. Oh, yeah, you've got some absolute beauties. I believe there's one, one in there towards the end where... Uh, the camera gets a little bit too close to his face and he starts attacking it with the, his tennis racket, doesn't he? He does take a couple of good swings, yeah, and the footage shot from a number of different angles, so you can actually see that one played out a few times. What does make this one different from things like, you know, Senna, Rush and those type of biopics? It's actually an awful lot of the footage is actually centred very, very closely on McEnroe himself as opposed to the whole flow of the game or his competitors. The reason being is that it was pieced together from footage made by French tennis shooting very, very closely during Grand Slam events. The filmmaker of John McEnroe in the Realm of Perfection, he found a whole trove of this undiscovered 16mm footage of John McEnroe at the French Open in 1984 when he was at absolutely at the top of his, his game. Has there been any feedback how John McEnroe felt about this particular movie coming out? He's aware of the film. He hasn't gone on record as saying that he feels strongly one way or the other about the film, which I guess for a guy of his, uh, his temperament, that's uh, probably a win. Do you know what sort of record McEnroe held? He actually, to this day, still holds the record of the highest percentage of wins in one year. So in 1984, he, uh, he finished 1984 with a percentage of 96.5 wins. Wow. Which that is still unbroken to this yeah, day. Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? John McEnroe, does that, that go with his guitar playing as well? Why does he play guitar? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, he's used to jam, oh, with, Pat, right. jam with Pat, Pat Cash, Cash and he's married to Patty Smith. Patty Smythe, isn't it? Yeah, Smythe Smith, yeah. He had a band yeah. and everything. The film is playing just for strictly limited seasons. 
Yeah, it's called John McEnroe in the Realm of Perfection. Dan O'Malley from High Gloss Entertainment, thanks very much for your time. It's been a pleasure, thank you. The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. It is The Bucket List and with Beefy and Diana Simons, we are giving away tickets to that John McEnroe movie. You can actually go onto the Facebook page. Yeah, look up The Bucket List Show. Please leave your details. Put you in the drawer for those tickets. Our guests yeah. that won the Twilight Polo tickets had a great time last night as well, by all accounts. Yeah, I've seen some photos of that. I couldn't get along, unfortunately. No, not me either. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And uh, I'm definitely putting my hand up for next, next year. Next year, yeah. Indeed. I always said that that was my bucket list, meeting an Argentine. Argentinian polo player. Yeah. I've actually always wanted to go see the polo in Argentina, to be quite honest. Oh, yes. Well, it's officially their national sport. It is. And it's not <laughs> as class system as it might be in some no, countries. No, very true. And, and the interesting thing is, when I did speak to um, Brad, who actually runs the polo, Brad Taylor, he said to me that here it's very different, like, to a lot of countries. Here they kind of just concentrate more on the bar and socialising, as opposed to actually following the game, <laughs> which I suppose if you're a player, that would be a little bit insulting. No, I think they kind of take it in their stride. I think the art of polo is you do the socialising, but you can also break away, put your mind in that, uh, you know, that horsey set and uh, basically get on with it. And obviously it's hugely different conditions from what you would normally have playing on a polo field. I mean, one is a lot less space, two, you're on sand. Apparently you do have to change your riding style quite significantly. Well, I told you, I went to see the snow polo in Austria, which is, it's on a foot of snow. And I'll tell you what's interesting is you don't think about the horses because um, when the horses need to go, they need to go. And when you're on snow, mm, don't eat the yellow snow. Would that be slippery if they're, you know, they're doing their biz on the snow and they're, they're running around on the snow? It's quite know? easy to shovel it and turn it over, but they, they also have a, a team of collectors You'd have quite a bit of injuries, you would imagine, playing polo. I remember uh, Prince Charles oh. used to play polo and he yes. was breaking his arms and all that sort of thing. It's a fairly vicious sport. It's the only sport you can't be left-handed as well. Have to play right-handed. What other countries is it played in? Is it is it very popular in the UK or is it more just... I wouldn't say popular, but uh, obviously the aristocratic uh, set, they do like uh, their polo. America play a lot of polo. You mentioned Argentina. Weirdly enough, UAE... It's pretty highly uh, touted. It's kind of the expats, but I think the Emirati love the fine dining and everything associated with the polo itself. So uh, the UAE has a fairly strong polo scene by all accounts. But, you know, it's a really fascinating sport and uh, the Argentinian guy who plays, he has a good life. He basically travels around the world. I don't know his name, but he travels around the world playing. Endless summer. (laughs) <laughs> unless, unless he plays in Russia, which I, I don't know. Probably not. I wouldn't have thought so. Well, do you think that when you were there that most of the players were actually Russians or internationals? I know the uh, it was a mother and daughter because it was the Ladies World Cup that we went to. The mother and daughter for UAE were from Kent <laughs> in England. So That's crazy. They were representing, yeah. But uh, the French do play a lot of polo, actually, and the Germans. Yeah. They're very horsey lifestyle, by the way, the Germans. They, really? All the show jumpers in the world, the dressage, all the top guys are, are German. So. And I would say they would be the neatestly dressed, the Germans. Oh, no doubt. They no wouldn't be doubt. a hair out of place. Are they very competitive? Of course they are. Of course they are. Would they be more technical with their playing rather oh, no, than passionate? I, I have no doubt. Because I, you can imagine the Argentinians would be very passionate. Yeah, flamboyant, you know, very, just do things on the fly, whereas the Germans, textbook. The Australians would just be the talented ones. But it's interesting. Did you ever see the movie Pretty Woman? Not oh, really. Bits well, and pieces. I don't think well, I've ever sat through the whole thing. There's one really famous scene in the movie where Julia Roberts goes to the polo and uh, they get all the well-heeled people in the crowd to actually 
uh, filling the divots on oh, the ground. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their shoes, and apparently Brad Taylor, who runs the yep. polo, was telling me that's a thing. They encourage people to do thing. it. That is a big thing, yeah. Between chuckers, you go on the ground and you fill the divots yeah. and you make the field smooth again. That's worldwide. Exactly. Hey, uh, we have to thank Sportsnet Holidays. I wonder if Daniel will organise me a trip to the World Snowball Championships in Japan, Di. That would be an interesting one. So there's actually a sport where they uh, do that? Throw snowballs at each other. Yeah, it's in Japan. It's called Yuki Gassen if you want to look more up about snowball fighting. And apparently there is an Australian Championships at Mount Borbor this year for the first time ever. Do you want to go? I'm there. Let's go. That would be so cool. Should take part, shouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. That's all for the bucket list. We'll see you all next week. Have a great weekend. I'm Beefy. Diana, what's coming up this year? Well, we're talking to Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Tours, and of course we've got the Cricket World Cup coming up in England and Wales. Daniel, what's different about the World Cup this year? There's only going to be 10 teams competing. We can expect a, a much higher quality and many more competitive matches. We'll also see every team play each other once. 10 teams, nine group matches with the top four going through to the semis and, and then the top two through to the final. Yeah, a bit of a throwback to the old 1992 World Cup where that was the, kind of the last time they did round robin and that's always viewed as one of the, the best World Cups they ever they ever had. Hopefully it can repeat that again. The exciting thing is Australia won five World Cups and they're going for six. The, the most popular match out Side of the final in the RV Pakistan match, 16th of June at Old Trafford. Other matches from a popularity perspective, Australia are playing India themselves on the 9th of June at the Oval again. 25th of June, we take on the, the arch enemy in England at Lords. 29th of June, we take on our little brother in New Zealand at Lords as well. Our last game against South Africa on the 6th of July at Old Trafford, always a great one. 45 matches in the space of five weeks. Oh, chock a block full of cricket. It's going to be huge. 11 different grounds will be used. 10 in England and one in Wales in Cardiff, your old stomping ground. I used to, I was on Glamorgan's book a long time ago, so uh, that's where we used to play. For matches where tickets are difficult to get and, and already sold out, we can help, especially uh, over the finals. We have a, a do-it-yourself type, what we call match break packages. For the majority of the bigger pool games and the semi-finals and the final, they include two nights accommodation, breakfast, official tickets, transfers, match day transfers. We're also running an all-inclusive escorted tour. The escorted tour will take in Australia's last group game, again against South Africa at Old Trafford, uh, plus it'll take in semi-final one and two and the final at Lords. That is absolutely amazing. So why would you book the Cricket World Cup through Sportsnet? We're official tickets. We're an official authorised sub-agent of the ICC Cricket World Cup. We have a great range of packages to most matches plus brilliant escorted tour and tickets are sold out for many of the matches and we still have access, especially over the final. Not going to make it myself to the World Cup final this year, but uh, I wish I could. We will live vicariously through you and through Sportsnet, <laughs> Daniel. Yes, definitely. <laughs> call me on, on our free call number, 1300 888 from anywhere within Australia or they can visit our website at sportsnetholidays.com. Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays, thank you so much for your time. Diana Beasley, thank you. Always a pleasure.